himself. He goes after his own comfort because we can see that in the way he speaks about his son and David. It's all about him. Again, he's got the everybody's after me, nobody likes me. Sometimes we as Christians tend to do that. We show up and we come to church and all of a sudden you see somebody and they're kind of like, well, everybody's talking to everybody else and they're not talking to me. They're not reaching out to me. I'm not going to come next week. I'll show them. They'll miss me. Or we do stuff to attract attention to ourselves and nobody really pays attention because that might be God's way of saying, well, you know what? It's not about you. Pastor Mark continues his teaching series through the book of 1 Samuel. He'll be challenging us to serve rather than be served, and to love others rather than expect it in return. Jesus showed the best example of uncontrollable love. He ministered and served individuals not desiring anything in return. Jesus simply wanted to follow the Father's orders and draw men and women to repentance and receive everlasting life for themselves. In our text today, We see the opposite of this. Saul was totally selfish and self-centered, and he only cared about what was in it for him. This is why God removed Saul from the throne and raised up David. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22 with today's edition of Come Alive. Let's read verse 6, chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. It says, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. And then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me my son that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And then answered Doeg the Edomite, who is, was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? And so Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of this little or much. And then the king said, 
you shall surely die, Himelech, you and all your father's house. So go back to verse 6. It says, when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, it says, now Saul, and it tells us where he was staying, in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with a spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Spear in hand. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Saul is always ready for a battle, it seems. He's always got this spear with him, and he's always trying to throw it at someone. And you may know someone like that. You may know somebody that's always ready for a fight. It doesn't matter what you do or how you say it, but they're always ready for confrontation, and they're ready to throw a spear at you. Always ready to fight everyone, and then they begin to think that everyone has it out for them. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of the thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not, not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Notice anything here? It's all about me. We see me a lot of times. Here's Saul, and he's worried about something, and it's against me, against me. So what's happening, Saul? You know, I mean, what's going on in your life? And so Saul mentions the tribe of Benjamin. So what he's doing is he's trying to get these guys, and he's saying, and you got to remember, Saul is from that tribe. And so he's saying, hey, is David, David, the guy from the tribe of Judah, is he going to give you guys land and vineyards and all this stuff? Is he going to take care of you, my people? And, and so he's trying to get them to side with him, and he's trying to rally these guys. So he says, you'd be better off having one of your own on the throne, being himself, because you're my people, and I will do what's best for us. But David has been part of Saul's progress and, and these guys, if they're listening, and sometimes we do the same thing. We listen to people and we're like, yeah, you know what it is? It, it, we're not part of that. And, and you start to see this. If we look at this and you realize that what David has done for Saul, he's been part of Saul's progress. Yet Saul becomes a tool of his own destruction. And what he does is he continues to do what he does best. And that's a self-centered life. He serves himself. He goes after his own comfort because we can see that in the way he speaks about his son and David. It's all about him. Again, he's got the everybody's after me. Nobody likes me. Sometimes we as Christians tend to do that. We show up and we come to church and all of a sudden you see somebody and they're kind of like, well, everybody's talking to everybody else and they're not talking to me. They're not reaching out to me. I'm not going to come next week. I'll show them. They'll miss me. Or we do stuff to attract attention to ourselves and nobody really pays attention because that might be God's way of saying, well, you know what? It's not about you. You need to be about others. And so, you know, it's like people who always say, I don't have friends. Oh, you got to be a friend to have friends. It's not about you all the time. I had a friend that used to always call me. He goes, dude, you never call me anymore. And I was like, man, I called you the last three times. It's your turn. You know, it's like, what's up with that? And it's like, it's not because I'm trying to keep tally of turns. It's just, I've been busy. But if you really want to talk and, and pray, then call me or leave a message, text me something. And, and a lot of people get into the, it's all about me. They start to feel sorry for themselves. And it's a very self-centered life. And so you and I will either come here every Sunday or Wednesday with a spear in our hand or a harp, you know, uh, the, the spear, if you have a spear, you're holding it so you can throw it at someone, so you can take a jab, 
Keep someone at distance, maybe, and, and try to hurt someone, whether you mean it or not. You, you may not mean it. You may not know and be like, hey, man, watch out where you swing that thing. It's got a point on it. It can hurt. But if you contrast this to David, who is in a cave making music to God, because remember, we looked at the Psalms that he wrote while he was in this cave and how he's ministering to other people while well, he's got a harp and he's just playing his harp. Or it'd be like little Eric just playing his guitar in some dark cave somewhere. Or warehouse or trailer, I don't know, wherever Eric hangs out. But, you know, just doing that and somebody taking jabs at him with a spear, like me. So you can come to church ready to make music through ministry in your, in your very own way, in your heart, with a, with, or with a chip on your shoulders. You know, and, and sometimes that, that'll happen if we, we have that, everybody's after me, nobody likes me, nobody loves me because, well, you know, somebody walked by me. Maybe they didn't notice you. And if they did, maybe they had something on their mind and your mouth may work just as well as theirs. And yesterday I saw this happen where a guy goes, Hey man, you hadn't said anything to me. And he was in, talking in a very whispering voice and he's like, I got laryngitis. I couldn't say hi from across the way. And the guy was kind of hurt. He's like, man, every day I wave at you and you didn't say anything to me. Why not? Did I do something to offend you? And I just kind of stood back. I was like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. And when I heard the guy speak, I started laughing. I want to just go up to the other guy and go, ha ha, he got you. So it was, you know, sometimes we do, we get these chips on our shoulders and we get these attitudes that, well, gosh, you're not talking to me. I must've done something. And it's like, Hey, sometimes it just, you don't know what's going on in that other person's life. Just say, Hey, and just be loving and say hello. So you know why Saul has this attitude, right? You guys remember? Well, why some people have this attitude? Well, because they have not been alone with God. And you see this a lot of times in counseling. I get alone with people and I start to ask. And they're like, man, you know, I've got this attitude. Or they may have that attitude. You just ask them, when's the last time you've been alone with God? Man, it's been a while. It's been a long time. And that happens. And it's been so long that you see everything in light of how it affects you instead of how, well, how things are going in the lives of other people. And so we got to be careful with that. Don't look at those things in light of how things affect you all the time. You got to look and see like, hey, you know, how is it I can pray for you? How is it I I can help in that manner? So you've become the focus of everything. And and that's what happened to Saul. He's become the focus of his own attention. It's all about him. Write this down, Luke 17.33. Luke 17.33. Some of you may know this already. Luke 17.33 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. And a lot of times we just need to let go of the things that we consider so important to us just so we can save it. It's very biblical when that happens. And those who actually think they're the answer to their own problem, well, they don't surrender. It's hard for them to surrender. And it's hard for us sometimes to surrender our own lives because we're thinking, man, I'm going to lose control of this thing. If I don't keep my hands on it, I'm going to lose complete control. But that's not the case. It's not your car. It's not, it's not that you need to drive it all the time. Sometimes we just need to go to God and say, hey, I, I've lost control. I, I, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. And just surrender your life and say, hey, here it is. Lord, I'm giving you this thing and I'm surrendering complete control over to you and asking you to bail me out because I've gotten myself into this place and it's kind of deep. And so when you're not in a right relationship with God, you're always going to find fault with just about everything just so you don't have to really receive from God. So sometimes that'll happen. We just, we don't want to hear what God has to say because sometimes I think we know what he's going to say. He's going to say, hey, you need to turn away from this thing. You need to get rid of that. You need to stop. 
And we might enjoy it so much. But if you just let it be all about God, you're going to receive and you'll see how God does a work in you. And you will leave changed. You will completely, if you just give it over, you'll leave this place. Even at church, you can do it today. You can just leave this place changed. So God's hand is on Saul. And because he won't go to God, Saul's going to find fault with everyone else. Look at verse 9. It says, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provision and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So let's stop there. Doeg, and that's one of my favorite names in the Bible. It sounds like the name of a creek. You know, it's like you would name a creek Doeg. But it's not the Old Testament name for Doug either. That's what I thought it was. I was kidding around with Doug earlier. I was like, I'm going to call him Doeg, but I didn't get the chance and tell him it's, it's an Old Testament name for him. But anyway, um, remember a few weeks ago we met Doeg, and, and we met him in chapter 21, verse 7. And so he was detained before the Lord. And remember we talked, he probably was detained because he was ceremonially unclean and he needed to become ceremonial clean before the Lord. Him being an Edomite, he's probably on converting to, to being Jewish. Um, so he's probably a little bothered by that because the priests held him up there and didn't allow him to pay his way out or whatever. You know, some people think that um, this is his chance to get revenge and you kind of see what Doeg does. So he doesn't tell the whole truth here. And we see that David came, and we know that David lied and to get the stuff that he said, hey, I'm on mission. But, you know, Doeg just so conveniently left that out of the conversation, and so he's probably a little bothered by that. So here's his chance to get revenge, and he doesn't tell the whole truth. He doesn't say that all Ahimelech did was give David what he requested. David asked for the bread, the show bread. And so he makes it sound like that Ahimelech said, hey, come on in, we'll feed you. We know you're against, you know, you're running from the king. And so Saul and his paranoia begins to believe this. And so David's request and David lied to get that sword. Again, Doeg doesn't say any of these things. And so he leaves out some detail on purpose. That's deception. You ever know anybody like that in the workplace who, you know, you might have done something and it could be the truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the whole thing. Yeah, you were standing there when something happened, but you left. And so it's like, yeah, well, you know, right before that copier broke or right before the water leaked all over the floor, so-and-so was standing there, not saying anything, but and you don't give the whole truth because it's like, well, they were 20 feet from it. Uh, how did that possibly happen? And so there are those people that do that. He makes it sound as if they were in cahoots together. And so Doeg is a little sneaky dude. Look at verse 11. It says, So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? Again, with the me. It's all about Saul. Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? And notice how Saul doesn't even use David's name anymore. He's starting to separate himself. It's the son of Jesse. And that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And so, again, there's this problem. It's all about Saul and his paranoia is really getting the best of him. And sometimes, again, when we step away from God, we're not getting clear answers. We're we're not getting clear thoughts. We start to do things on our own and start to assume things that that are crazy. 
So Ahimelech, verse 14, answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes in at your biddings and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And then the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. So what's going on here? You know, that's a question we have to ask. If we're going to study the Bible, what's going on? Well, we have a priest who has the responsibilities to intercede for people. And so David comes and he asks the priest, hey, will you pray for me? Basically is what happens. And Ahimelech is completely caught off guard by what Saul is saying. And it says, you know, with him wanting to kill him, he's like, why? Well, if you turn to James chapter 1, you get to see that. And as you're turning to James chapter 1 to answer the question of why this is happening, I'll just tell you the last few studies we've seen David in his growing in the grace of God. So James chapter 1, turn there, and you see that David is growing in the grace of God. Yet we also see Saul being a tool, remember, a tool of his own tragedy. And he begins to self-destruct very slowly. And that's what happens when when compromise sets in. And when we start to self-destruct very slowly, when we start to step away from the Lord a little, and then a little more, and a little more, it's easier to do that step by step than gigantic leaps. And so little by little, we see Saul beginning to self-destruct. And based upon the decisions he makes, James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, if you're taking notes, next to enticed, if you highlight in your Bible or you write in your Bible or on a notepad, enticed means a lure or deluded. And the idea here is all of us have these fleshly carnal desires. All of us do. And we get lured into, like a fish going after some kind of fake bait, something fake. And the fish looks at that thing, if anybody's ever gone fishing, and says, man, that looks good. That looks to be like some awesome food. And they go over and they think, hey, man, it's going to get me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to satisfy my hunger. And they go over and they take a big bite of it. And then it's drawn into thinking it's going to satisfy its hunger. And he gets caught. And now he can't get loose. And he begins to be reeled in. So the temptation is thought of as something that will have a lasting value. When you think about it, when we're tempted, we look at something and we start to toy with it. In our minds, this thought takes place and we have a little bit of a desire. Hey, that looks pretty good. That looks great. Hmm, this might have some kind of lasting effect. I'm going to enjoy it 100%. I'm going to love it. And it's going to satisfy me. But all of a sudden, look what happens next. Then that desire, when it has conceived is what James says, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And then James 1.16 says, Do not be be deceived, my beloved brothers. So the enemy knows what tempts you and I, what tempts me. He'll never tempt you with something that that doesn't make you fall, right? Remember I said back in um, Leviticus, one of the commandments is never to eat bat. I'm never tempted to eat a bat. So... The Lord will not put a buffalo bat in front of me and I'd be like, man, I'm going to eat that thing. I can't wait. I've never been tempted to eat a bat. So he's never going to tempt me with something that isn't a desire to me. He may tempt me with other things. 
And just like you may be tempted with other things, but you know, you think about it, he's not going to put something in your way that you're not tempted with. It's always going to be something that, that's very desirable to you. And so you got to be very careful with that. So sin is still at work, and, and, and it wants to finish you off and, and, and complete you. So all sin starts with pride, envy, and jealousy. And here's how it starts with the pride, because you're thinking, well, wow, man, that's going to satisfy me. You're prideful. You're only looking for yourself. And so you're like, wow, that's an awesome thing. Uh, man, I can't live without it. And so we see what it does. If you look at, at these verses, it tells us when we're tempted, a desire, we have this desire, it's a thought. And then we start thinking of how can we get it? There's a design. Well, let's see. I can do this and I can do that. I can reach over there. Whatever it is, we start to do these things. And then all of a sudden it says after that, it, 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 it's conceived. And once it, the, at that conception point, it's talking about like a birth here. Once it's conceived, then it's a little tougher to step away from. It's easy with that first thought to be like, no, I don't want that. That's not good for me. I know it. But when we start to design it, how we're going to get it and start to plan it out, it becomes a little tougher. And then when it's fully grown, again, it's got to grow up. And once it's there, it's planned out, it's all there, it brings forth death. And so we have these problems and we're like, oh, man. And now you may not fully die physically, but it could be, you know what, it could be a little bit of a, a death in a relationship maybe. It could be the death of something, maybe the death of your relationship with the Lord for a little while until you repent and you, re- and you turn from that. But, you know, we're told that God doesn't walk with us in sin. He might step back and say, hey, turn away, turn away. I'm throwing all kinds of people in your way to say, turn from that. Get away. Close your eyes. Avoid it. And then it says it brings forth death. And then it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So the enemy knows what's tempting you and what you're tempted with. And so that's how it started with Saul. Remember the song about Saul? David has, or Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. See, Saul wanted that popularity. Uh, the enemy played on his pride. Well, I'm the king. I should have bigger numbers than David. I should have the top number one song in all Israel. But yet David is the one who's got it, and they're singing about him. So Saul persisted in his rebellion, and he saw the innocent son of Jesse as a personal enemy. who David didn't do anything but try to help him out. He was his worship leader inside the castle. So all his resistance to God's purposes induced personal envy. And this led to, well, this open violence. And when we have that personal envy, just think about it. When you're upset and angry, you might be thinking or trying to come up with a plan to cause somebody some some heartache, some hurt, some revenge. And so notice what happens when we seek to remove God's purposes and substitute them with our own. Saul's dangers begin to multiply just as... He sought their removal. All of a sudden, his dangers start to multiply. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. 
Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.